Hey everybody, welcome to Poetry in Motion, Cowboy Podcast. I apologize, it's been a while since we've had a podcast. We have been super, super busy. Uh, We've been trying to move from our house in Texas up to our new house in Missouri. And in the middle of all that, we had a top hand clinic in Beverly, West Virginia. And then been fortunate enough to have a bunch of day work lined up. So things have just been kind of hectic. Um, Did run into some people in West Virginia who listened to the podcast. So that was super cool, really exciting. And what we were up there for, we did our top hand clinic um, for two days. And then the days following that, we were part of, or we got a chance to enter uh, a three-man big loop roping that... Rodier the Cross was hosting, um, Jamie Andrews, a big part of that deal, um, it was a lot of fun, didn't have maybe the success we wanted, but got to have a lot of fun in that, and that deal was a benefit for the um, Potomac Highland Wounded Warriors operation, it's a super, super great group of men and women doing things for our veterans, um, they're using hunting and the outdoors, uh, to kind of connect with, with some of our vets that are in need. So that was a really neat deal. Got a chance to raise some money for them or be part of an event that was raising some money for them. Um, but we are glad to be back home. So today I've got a special guest, and I use the word special um, somewhat lightly there. But I do have a guest. So today with me I've got Cody Dow. Cody is one of the co-founders of the Top Hand Clinics. Um, If you guys don't know what the Top Hand Clinics are, look that up on Facebook. Um, We're going to talk about it a little bit, but y'all look it up. um, Check it out. See what it's all about. But So, we've got Cody with us today. Cody, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate the fact that I'm only partly special um, and your your joke about only being semi-special. We know who's special here. Well, I had like a whole list of people that I wanted to have on the clinic or on the podcast. I'm glad uh, I made the top of it. Uh, no, they were all busy, <laughs> all of them. So I'm just glad you happened to be walking past. Perfect, perfect. But, so Cody, being part of the Top Hand Clinic, one of his big contributions to that is the stockmanship and, and cattle handling. Uh, part of that, as much as I like to give him a hard time, Cody has managed some ranches. Um, where, are you, where are you currently working at? What are you doing now, uh, Cody? Um, we, are, we are at Santa Fe Ranch, um, Tanya, my wife, and I. Um, we've been there for the last seven years. October here marked the uh, seven-year mark of being at Santa Fe Ranch in Miller, Missouri. We take care of uh, about 700 mother cows, and then when we wean the calves, we background them for a, a period of time before we ship them on to the feedlot or, or wherever they go from there. So, yep, we're uh, we're managing Santa Fe Ranch at, at Miller, Missouri, and, and it's been a, a really good time. We we have some really good owners that we've had a chance to be able to work with, and uh, they've been super, super great to us and, and really gracious. They allow us the opportunity to be with Top Hand Clinics along with managing the ranch and let us have a flexible schedule to uh, – to meet all of the needs that they have as well as being able to go and kind of venture into some of our own our own little ventures and and callings from God that they give us so it's it's a really rare opportunity that a person finds to be able to manage a ranch but also find the time and have the ability and flexibility to be able to do something like that so 
that's been that's been really awesome for us so we've just been busy this fall like Kai said we've traveled with all the clinics and we had a chance to go out to Colorado again in October for the his cavi benefit um with our friends that run that being able to see see that for the first time since they've started running that um El Guapo and and three-man doctoring competition and and their benefit out there that was that was really awesome and then we followed it up with coming back to do our clinics and going to West Virginia and since we've been back we have had to go full tilt with the ranch kind of get caught up and and making feed to finish the end of the summer and the fall and then going right into weaning calves and now we get to uh start processing and and feeding calves and doctoring through the fall now sweet so we are only five minutes into the podcast so we are not going to get to the big debate yet we're not going to get to the argument that everybody's waiting for before we get to that we talked about the top hand clinics a lot we haven't really introduced it um a tremendous amount here on the podcast for those of you that i know in person have got the opportunity to be around and um, you know what the top hand clinics are but like i said cody and his wife tanya along with me and, and my wife casey we set this deal up and, and got it started in the fall of 2018 so i'm gonna let cody um kind of give give his description kind of tell you guys what the top hand clinics are and if he misses anything which I'm sure he will, I will come to the rescue and, and fill in the blanks. So, Cody, what, what is Top Hand Clinics? In a nutshell, I would say that Top Hand... I don't hand think Top Hand Clinics would fit in a nutshell. <laughs> like, it's going to have to be a huge... Do you realize how big the nut would have to be that to fit a be. clinic inside it? It'd be like trying to castrate, like, yearlings or something. <laughs> but... Yes. Outside of a nutshell, yes. what is Top Hand Clinics? Out, so outside of a nutshell, what I would call it, it is a cowboy ministry that we are able to teach various ranch skills to a group of people while also being able to minister to them through the example that we would set with how we handle our livestock and our horses and just being around people. But also we are able to minister minister to them through devotion time, just through being able to love on them and to care about them. Um, and to follow up kind of on the ranch skills, it would be anything from horsemanship that we kind of start out with at the beginning of the clinics. And we work through to rope handling, dallying drills, being able to rope the dummy and roping live cattle um, and sorting being able to uh, to identify different aspects or or characteristics of a cow, um, which would relate into being able to identify sick cattle and, and stuff like that. But it has anything to do with horsemanship all the way to roping so that we can present a realistic view of what cowboy skills would be from branding to doctoring to shipping calves to to any kind of skill such as that but we just use that as an avenue to love on people and share share the gospel of christ to them yeah and one of the cool things with the with the top hand clinics is that because we can be flexible a little bit in our curriculum and and what we're trying to cover we can work with any any experience group any any age group we've had um we've had older people come we've had teenagers and and kids come we've had people 
that were really, really handy. We've had people that had never picked up a rope before, um, and we're able to kind of meet them uh, at their level and, and where they're at. Our our goal for the end of the weekend is not a set in stone. We want everybody to be able to accomplish this task. Our goal is that everybody has improved and everybody's got stuff that they can take home and and work on so that they can continue to improve throughout the year while they while they're at home but one of the one of my favorite things about top hand clinics is we're not going to set anybody up to fail but we're going to set up everybody to get outside of their comfort zone like if you are already a really really good roper cody cody can throw a bunch of that big fancy buckaroo stuff and i guarantee you he can throw a loop that you cannot so even if you rope really good we're going to set you up to get outside your comfort zone and try something you haven't tried before. If you've never picked up a rope, it may be something very basic, but we're still going to try to stretch your comfort zone. And when we do that, we all end up failing. Like it, we're all going to, we're all going to throw loops at miss. We're all going to try something with our horse and it's not going to work out. And so then when we get the chance to come back together in, in our devotion time, and it seems like so much of the arrogance and the ego and the pride, um, is gone and and we can kind of connect as a group of people who have failed but are trying to do better because that ties perfectly straight in with our belief of the gospel um that we are all sinners saved by grace and and so we're all trying to do better we're all trying to become more christ-like but that's that's the top hand clinic um like i say check us out on facebook top hand clinics um get some more information there see a bunch of pictures of, of clinics that we've gotten to do but now we're going to get into the to the hot topic okay so one of our other friends was here today and he's he's really weird um he's from pennsylvania he moved to texas moved to utah now he's living in oklahoma and dating a girl from missouri so he's, he's having a huge identity crisis because when i first met johnny johnny was packing a 60 foot rope and I'm pretty sure he was riding his horse across the pasture with a tie down on. Um, but now he's cut all his ropes in half and now he wants to be a super puncher. So with Johnny being here today, him going through his identity crisis, it brought up the conversation once again between me and Cody. The same conversation we've had a million times. Cody carries a 60 footer. He dallies on a slick horn. I carry about 28 foot and keep a knot tied in the end of mine. So, Cody, I'm going to give you one chance right here for all of the world, anybody that hears this podcast, to try to convince me that dallying is better than tying on. You may go. All right, how long did you say that your rope was again? 28 foot. Try to throw it 29 Ride a faster horse. <laughs> Next point. <laughs> Even if your horse is fast, sometimes you need more than that. But, no. Um, honestly, like, I don't... It is a debate. We can go back and forth all day because we have counterpoints for each point that we do make. But, like, in the end, we may do things differently, but the goal is always to accomplish the same task. Um, and, like, it may look different, but as long as our focus is on the same thing, that kind of aligns with our uh, with our belief in God and, and kind of our faith and stuff as well. Is like we can always kind of, we have a set of core values that are kind of in that circle and it centers around our, our uh, 
salvation, but in the end, like, as long as it points towards God, then it makes sense. And kind of that's the same thing with Kai and I, and like my thought process behind my style of how, how I train a horse, how I ride a horse, how I rope cattle and all that is based upon the strengths that I have personally and the skills that I have. Like I prefer to have a longer rope where I can run some rope and, and I have the opportunity to have a little bit more failure with running some rope and having a little bit more time for different things. My horses, some people would call them slow and some of them are very slow, but a lot of times they have to be very calculated in the way that they move and the way that they act in order for us to accomplish our job. But like I said, in the end, like a person can go back and forth and, and, and over and over and over again. But, but like, I admire guys that can tie on and can, can show that skill extremely well. Um, and then I also cringe at the guys that choose to have that style but are not very good at it. And I think it goes to that that's kind of the same thing for Kai. Like I think that he admires somebody that can use a long rope and throw fancy shots and and can utilize that that style, but he also cringes when they don't do a good job. <laughs> okay, so this is no fun because Cody's being on his best behavior. All right. Before we pushed record on the podcast. Cody was explaining to me all the reasons he thought I wasn't a man for tying on, okay? But now that we have listeners, he's trying to be really trying to be really nice. But he does bring up a good point, and this is something that we cover. Um, we're going to go back to talk about the top hand clinics just a little bit. Something that we cover at our clinics. We both have a goal of low-stress stock handling, if, if that's the way that you want to call it. And, and guys tying on... Uh, get a bad reputation um, because all you really see is is somebody run to a big old yearling across a wheat pasture and yank him over backwards on his head. And I'm not saying that I haven't ever done that, but it's not necessary. Even tied on, you can you can run two one, um, get him roped clean, and then handle your horse and, and ease into some things. Um, and and you can still handle stock good. Me and Cody have roped together. A bunch with me tied on and him dallying and never really run into any problems. The only time we really run into a problem is when I'm tied on because whatever I'm riding ain't broke enough to ride one-handed. So I just got to rope something and throw my slack to him and go back to riding my colt two-handed. And then Cody's not paying attention and I rim fire him and we both <laughs> manage to get bucked off at the same time. But even that, that's not really a bad deal because that, that gives you good stories to tell. And that's really what being a cowboy is is all about um so another thing since cody wasn't willing to get heated and, and debated about dowling versus tying on what about this one i know that you or not you so much but tanya raises some good dogs um australian shepherds gets them really broke gets a good handle on them and likes to use them why do you guys have those dogs instead of some curves. Well, I, honestly, I think Johnny brought up a good point about it today, and he asked what style we used and whether it was a bay dog, like what you're saying, a, a cur or a catahoula or black, like the blackmouth curs, versus a command-style dog. And, uh, and that's just it. That kind of sums it up right there. That gives you my answer is we use a... I have a, a border collie. I've had some border collies. Um, 
that I, I typically use for my work. And then Tanya raises Australian shepherds and we've gone into kind of the trial and, uh, and like command style Australian shepherds that will work a lot like a border collie. And it's just for that reason, it's for the command, um, style of them where, where we don't just go and, and I, I even admire kind of the Bay and dogs with the black mouth curs and, and stuff like that. But I think as a human being, just by default, um, we kind of run into the, run into the issue where we want to be control freaks. And that, that, uh, that gives us the ability with having those command style dogs in a border collie and an Australian shepherd is that we can control their moves. Um, obviously once they're trained, when they're young, there's not a lot of control on it. It's kind of like riding a young horse. It's a lot of our own manipulation of the movements of that dog in order to train them to eventually I can stand in one spot or I can ride my horse to one spot and then manipulate based upon the commands of that dog where I want them to go and how to how to maneuver those cattle and they work real quiet. Um, probably one of my pet peeves is a dog that barks a lot, which I, I say that with owning the Australian Shepherds because the Australian Shepherds will bark some. But those those bay dogs that are just nonstop, kind of like a coonhound, um, not that not that I don't see their usefulness, but they get on my nerves with the amount, the amount that they bark at times. So that's that's really the thought process behind why we like the dogs that we do. Um, and there there's a, a time and a place for the others, but we've we've been able to find and meet most of our needs where we're at with the style of dogs that we have, being Australian shepherds and and border collies do you do you think before facebook and youtube and all this stuff like is is it less cultural or less geographical than it used to be like in the old days if you grew up in the great basin that's the only style of horsemanship you're going to see that's the only style of roping you're going to see if you grew up in west texas that's all you're going to see do you think that some of that's gone away now that like a bona fide super puncher that's never had anything but cur dogs and short ropes can get on YouTube and learn how to throw a Del Viento and he goes and buys a 60 foot rope. Like, do you think that's changed with the internet and everything? Um, I do like, yes and no, because there's always been cowboys that have traveled from South Texas up, up the, the cattle trails and gotten into the Northern country or, or out West farther where their style could have morphed and changed a little bit. But it's definitely much more common. Like you saw, you and I, we went to West Virginia, um, and it was to a big loop roping. So, like, I don't know exactly how West Virginians in the 1800s would have cowboyed, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it would have been with one of Ray Hunt's kind of prototypical wade tree saddles and a 60-foot rope. I think that that for sure the the age of technology has kind of opened – the door for people to morph and change into different styles because it's just like even in the in the geographical country that we're at here in Missouri we're in the center of the United States and we kind of hit all the different worlds there's lots of guys that tie on and like you you tie on um and you ride a, a big swelled saddle with a little bitty horn and 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 do that but then there's also guys that ride a wade tree like the, and then there's, like myself, I'm kind of a conundrum, I feel like, at times. Like, I have that style of roping and that style of kind of trying to train a horse, and, and I, I'll put them into a snaffle bit and then into maybe a, a, a hackamore and, and ride them that way a little bit. But then there's also times where I throw them back into a shanked 
uh, like lifesaver type bed or or a, a uh, like a, a Tom Balding correction bed or something like that. So it all like it just kind of morphs and it's not ever super traditional, but it's also not the other way at times too. And like right now, I'm not wide. I'm not riding a Wade Tree saddle. I like I have a a little Will James style swelled saddle, but it's got a big horn on it, yeah. so that I can still dally. So I definitely think that the age of technology has enlightened or not necessarily enlightened but probably broadened the ability for somebody to go from one style to the next but I also think that a lot of that kind of has to do with the draw of that person and just how they can relate it's just like you and I we talk a lot about training dogs and training horses and and even interacting with people like meeting meeting those different horses and dogs and people where they're at everybody's going to have a different way of thinking about the same thing. Like you and I might want to come up with the number 12, but I'll add six plus six and you might add 12 plus, or eight plus four. So like, even in that, I got that wrong. So it's different, but like, you know what I mean? It, yep. It's just one of those deals where I think the eight, like to answer your question and go back, I'm chasing rabbit trails now, but to answer your question, I definitely think the age of technology has been able to broaden the knowledge that different people have of different stuff but i think it also hinders it at the same time because they can get a perception of it based upon watching two youtube videos and then still not know everything that there is yeah. about it that's another subject we can go into that we've talked about is like the more you think that you know the more you realize you don't have a clue about yeah yeah just just because you can quote dale brisby doesn't mean you're ready to go hire on for any day work but we definitely are in a so we are in southwest Missouri, like pretty much as center of the US as as you can get and um there's a there's a lot of cattle around here. Like agriculture is a is a big deal. There's a lot of cattle, a lot of farming. Um but it is a blending pot just because cause we are in the middle and like Cody said, you got guys dialing on slick horns, got guys tying on, get a ton of guys um dallying on rubber and um, just cause they grew up team roping their whole life and it's easy to get frustrated in some of those instances because talking about dallying versus tying on we can also get into the the conversation of, of how we brand calves so we're getting ready to brand some calves here in a couple of weeks and um you got some brandings that you're going to heal and drag calves and have guys flanking got some where you're going to heal and drag them use nord forks some where you're going to head and heal everything um i hear people talk about um, calf tables but anytime I hear that I turn and go the other way I've never seen one of those mythical creatures in real life um, but it's easy to get frustrated when you show up somewhere and say you you think the best way to do it is is healing and dragging calves and you show up somewhere and they say they're going to head and heal everything but I, I, I consider it a blessing really to live here where we do where it is such a, a melting pot like I would not say Southwest Missouri has a distinct cultural cowboy style of, of its own, um, but it works out great for me because, like, I grew up with with kind of the team roper mentality. My my grandpa team roped like that was what we did. We used short ropes. We dallied on on rubber. I was lucky enough to get to be around some guys that were super handy tying on, and I got to liking that. But now I've been around uh, Cody and and some of these guys who use the long ropes and so I, I feel like all around I'm a 
I'm a better cowboy, I'm a better horseman, I'm a better cattleman, just for being around so many different types. I feel like if I'd have been just crammed into a box where this is the only way it can be done, that I wouldn't have reached my potential. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You kind of agree with that? Absolutely, and that's, like I said, like I admire somebody that can tie on, and you've managed to trick me into doing it like twice. (laughs) Um, And they went super successful. And I don't know that's that be, that is because like I'm great at that. It's, it's just because, because it was my horse, my rope, my horn knot. Like it was just set up for success. <laughs> that is very true. That is like it helps to be in that kind of situation, but it also helps to see guys that are super good at it and like they have an understanding for how it works. And then like that's where you find like that debate. Guys want to draw a hard line, and and like. There are times in our life where we need to draw hard lines, but like on a deal like that, I think the more that you can learn and the more that you can see, then the better off that you'll be in the end. Because yeah, if you were painted kind of into a corner and only did the one style and only learned from the one set of guys and and this and that, you may master that, but there are going to be holes in your, in your program. Um, and like, it'd be the same concept with a horse or a dog, like, um, I asked a guy early on whenever I was kind of learning about training some horses and, and just starting some colts and kind of getting into this lifestyle. I was like, so, like, after watching RFD TV a few times, and I was like, there's Chris Cox and there's all these different guys that have these horse training shows. Like, which one do you follow? And the guy told me the best advice that I ever had, and he goes, well, I really just watch all of them, and then I pick and kind of choose – what parts of it and I know I I try to have an understanding of all that they're doing and I may not master all of it but at least I can kind of take and pick little bits of each different guy in order to create my own program because it also broadens the tools in my tool bag so that I don't fall short on a certain horse that I'm trying to train because I can pick from this guy and then I can pick from this guy and then I can pick from this guy in order to try to meet all those needs um the cool thing about it to to kind of take it a different direction for you though is like in our christian walk we have a whole tool bag with the bible and 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 at the lead of it is god and like we don't have to choose and pick and and try to pick from this guy's tool bag and that guy's tool bag because as long as we'll follow that script and we'll try to go from that perspective and and following and trying to walk with god like he has the answer for us in that so rather than trying to make a melting pot of stuff, we have one true, one true God to be able to follow. So that it, I may have confused you with that kind of description, but that's that's kind of the per, that's kind of the the view that I have on it. Yeah, for sure. No, I I completely agree on that. It is like when you boil it all down, our our life honestly, we want to try to make it hard and we want to try to make it complicated. It's it's so simple. Like, love Jesus and don't do drugs. Like that's that's all there is to it, folks. Exactly. Like, exactly. Really. Life gets really hard when you make poor decisions. Like life's hard already. So when when you make bad decisions, it just makes it tougher. Yep. And if you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough. Yeah. And I'm not very tough. So, Cody brings up a good point there that he's not tough. Um, that's why he doesn't tie on. But no, he he brings up another good point about taking different things from other people the the quickest way to stop growing the quickest way to stop improving 
is to think that you know it all. And Cody mentioned this a little bit earlier too, but one thing we say a lot, especially about our horsemanship, is that for every one thing you learn, it seems like you, you realize then that there's three things you don't know. Like you have to learn a certain amount to realize how much you don't know. But there's this kind of fine line or, or balancing act or whatever of all all of your pride and ego and everything has to go out the window. You've got to be willing to listen to other people and learn from other people if you want to continue to grow and continue to improve yourself. But also, there's, okay, so there's two different ways really to look at pride. There's there's a, a sinful kind of pride where it's all about me and, and everything like that. But the Bible also says that a worker's worthy of his wages. Like, we're supposed to work as if we're working for God and not for man. So I, I know the word pride gets a negative connotation and, and people talk bad about it. But um, if you want to say we're supposed to take pride in our work or if you want to say we're supposed to take joy in our work or however you want to look at it, um, I'm just going to use pride because that's the, the simplest term. And I'm not talking about like a bragging, arrogant, I'm better than you pride. But when when I've put time into a horse, when I've rode a horse, I want to do it in a way where I can take pride in the finished product. Like when I start a colt, I don't want to in 30 days or a year or five years or however long look back and say, man, I wasted five years on this hunk of junk. I want every day to work with a certain attitude, intensity, however you want to look at it, of I'm going to turn out a really good finished product. And me and Cody, I would say, like, obviously we rope a little bit different. We do things a little bit different. Even our horsemanship um, is is a little bit different. The way that we accomplish some things is a little bit different. But um, Cody's got a gray mare or grueler. What it, you guys just have to see her. She's funky colored. Um, she's she's morphing. She she's changing every day. She's probably gonna be black. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what color she is, but either way, the, he's been working on for a long time, and uh, her her name is Noodles. So I'm gonna let Cody tell you a little bit about Noodles and some of her uh, backstory. Yeah, like like Kai said, um, she was she started Grula. We got her as a oh, three or four month old filly that we traded um, a puppy we bred for actually. Um, and like I, I liked her. Why would she, you breed a puppy? Like I would definitely <laughs> wait till they got of age. Yeah, yeah. You make a good point. <laughs> it's an irrelevant point, but it's a good one, I guess. But no, we uh, we actually traded two puppies that Tanya had out of a female that was of age to breed. Oh, and uh, okay. Well, that's we just had to make sure they're like I don't want yeah. anybody listening to this. Too. Yeah, yeah. You live in a big glass house to be throwing lots of stones here. Hey, I like living in a glass house because I can see my reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, we got this filly. She was three or four months old, um, kind of ugly and pot-gutted, but she had really good papers, which is always the uh, the worst plan for trying to buy any any kind of equine. Um, yes. Is to, to look at just their papers and, and think that an ugly, ill-mannered, poor confirmation type of horse is, is a good buy just because their papers are good. Preach. But, but I did it anyways, and uh, turns out, like, my gamble worked out because she's still sort of ugly. She's got a big head, but she's grown into it a little bit, and uh, she's kind of tall and lanky and 
uh, almost built like Kai's thoroughbred, where her legs come out of the same hole in her chest. Hey, man, be nice to you. Know. <laughs> uh, but she 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 started out like she's always been super 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 gentle. Um, and I think I've tried to sell her about a half a dozen times in her life, just because even though she was gentle, she was colored good. She was papered good. She'd find little, like, I would find flaws with her and find faults where it made me almost, not necessarily resent her, but it would make me not super motivated about her. But the cool thing is, is we just kind of kept on going with her and kept on going, and she's four now, um, and she got to go through this whole last year as a four-year-old in our clinic season. Um, In the spring, we went to, went to, uh, Dawn and Debbie Horns. We went to Kentucky. Um, I took her to Detroit, Texas, and we branded a bunch of calves there. I branded a bunch at Santa Fe on her in the spring, and then um, I don't know if I branded on her much last last winter, but I did in the spring for sure. And then went through the summer working on her here just at the ranch, riding through cattle and doing stuff. And then this fall, she's made the big fall run with us too. Um, hauled her to Colorado for vacation that we took in the summer and then went to West Virginia, we have uh, did a clinic here at Carthage at Risen Ranch. Um, and kind of the cool thing is is that this last kind of in the spring and then the summer and, and now for sure this fall, it's like uh, the, the blessing of our perseverance and our hard work and the frustration that we put in is kind of coming to fruition because she's for sure not a finished horse by any means. She's still super green. But we're being able to see some of the fruit of that labor because she's she's still super gentle. Like, she's never been a bronc, but she was super bad about being, like, she was like riding a stick horse. She was stiff-necked and hard-mouthed. She would run off, and she never did get motivated enough to run super fast, but she would just run off and uncontrolled. So as long as you could ride as fast as she could run, you could stay with her. Um, but it just made a lot of frustrating points, and, like, We've weaned these calves this fall, and I didn't even actually ride her this fall. My wife, Tanya, got to ride her and got to sort on her, and we've roped and doctored a bunch of stuff, and, like, things are clicking and coming into coming kind of the the cream is rising to the top now. And she's for sure not finished, but it's it's super rewarding to see the fruit of that labor that you put in and, like, for so long been beating our head against the wall with her. And now it's like, oh, now it makes sense. I'm glad I didn't sell her six months ago. I'm glad I didn't sell her a year ago. I'm glad I didn't just get rid of her and send her off through the sale barn or something just because there were points that I was super frustrated. Yeah, and that's – so when when was the – I know it was in the spring. Do you remember when the clinic at Detroit was? I think it was in April. So in April then we were in Detroit, Texas um, at the Atkins Ranch uh, – Gavin Rogers was taking care of their cow herd then. He got us set up uh, to have a, a clinic down there, and noodles was not super great. Like, I don't think I don't think you're mad at me for saying. No, that. I think she almost wrecked a kid. Yeah, we did. We did almost almost wreck a kid. But so from then, so from April until here, a couple weeks, a month ago, mm-hmm. when we went to West Virginia, but. Like huge, huge change. Like when we were at West Virginia, there were a ton of people there. There were a lot of really good horses. There were a lot of older horses, and there were some finished bridle horses there, like pretty legit finished bridle horses. And 
to me, as as far as being broke, as being quiet, being able to do a job on her, um, I mean, she was she was as good as as any of them there. Um, so, just the like you said, the the persistence, dedication, mm-hmm. perseverance, whatever you want to call it. She's at a point now where, when somebody says, "Hey, what's that horse? I really like her." You can say, "Man, we've had this filly since she was three or four months yeah. old." Like me and Tanya have done all the work on her. Like this is our project. This is our baby. Yeah, and that's that's super cool. That's a that's a good feeling for for I'm sure I'm sure like entrepreneurs, big business people. Once they built up a business, I'm sure they feel somewhat the same way. But to do it with a living, breathing creature yes. is is even cooler. Yep, absolutely. And like it's kinda I listening to another podcast, I I listen to Cowhorse Full Contact quite a bit just because I spend quite a bit of time either in the truck driving or, or in a tractor brush hogging or making hay through the summer and stuff. That doesn't sound super um, cowboy. No, it it's not. Um but cattle do have to feed or have to have feed so you gotta make it. And yeah, but I don't feed fence farm or fix things <laughs> you don't do a lot of things but we won't go there um but anyways with listening to those podcasts there was one that kind of stuck out in my mind and it was when chris dawson was talking about um when he worked it for carol rose um and he goes he he was just i don't know who he was having the conversation with but i know that carol rose was in it um and somehow or another the the subject of brandon those colts that were out of that breeding program came up Um, and he said her response to him was, well, honey, if you breed one or if you brand one of them, you got to brand all of them. And with that, she was implying that she didn't want her name to go with every single colt that she was producing because she might not have been proud of them. Um, and with you and you and I here and kind of in the conversation that we're in, we're, we're kind of the exact opposite of that thought process because I know you brand your broodmares and you brand your colts. Um, we're registering a brand right now and we'll, we're going to, we've been able to, to have some Colts and like this, this noodles mare that we've raised. We've got another one, the exact same age that we're super proud of as well. She just didn't get to go and make the clinic circle with us because she was with a friend out in Wyoming all summer. Um, but she'll for sure be on the clinic circle this next year. But like for those fillies that we have raised and seen, whether it be from birth or from the age of two or three months old until now where they're four and five like these are horses that we want to brand because we're like you said not to use pride in in an arrogant or boastful way but like we're extremely proud of the hard work that we put into them we're extremely proud of the broodmares we we brand our cattle because we want people to know where they came from down the road because we're pleased with the fruit that we've produced and it's it's kind of that same process there with our with those mares and those colts and and the work that we put in with riding those horses and like you said it can go one way or it can go another with being a sinful boast or it can just be like work like you're working for the lord and there's a joy in that because you get to see the good fruit of the labor that you put in for sure um and it it goes just right along with our lives like are you living each day like you're like you're working for the lord and you're proud of the fruit that you're producing yeah yeah y'all i i agree completely that's that was actually part of of the sermon this morning so we go to church here at risen ranch cowboy church in carthage missouri if you're looking for a church home come join us but our pastor steve stafford he actually talked about that 
um, some this morning that like I'm not going to boast about anything that I've done, but I'll boast about what God's done in me. And, and our horses is, is kind of the same way. Like if you if you look at raining, you look at cutting, you look at any of these these disciplines, these events that we've created. It all started with cowboys way back when that weren't even saying so much look at me they were saying look at what my horse can do like mm-hmm. like i've got a horse that can stop better than your horse i've got a horse that can turn a cow that your horse can't and and i'm like we've got kind of a similar deal like you've got noodles we've got uno and i think every podcast we've done so far the poem has probably been about uno she's been a big part of our lives we got her when she was four days old she's still on her mama she's six now and she's not she's not a world beater like Cody said. Her front legs come out of the same hole. Her head's the biggest part on her. She can't hardly pull her own shadow through the mud. But man, she can run to a cow. She's gentle. Uh, my six year old daughter can run barrels on her. Anybody can just get on her and and go. Um, they got to show her in the in the one man competition at West Virginia the other day and got along good there. Like she's just she's super cool. And and we had a guy that I had never met. Like I say, we're, we were still living in Texas then. So we're from Texas and, and, uh, we're in West Virginia of all places. I don't even know who this guy was, older gentleman come up and, and, uh, my daughter was riding Uno around and he says, that's your horse. And I said, yes, sir. He said, man, I've been watching her and she is really nice. And six, six years worth of work, like six years of being frustrated with that mare because we were working through things and, Felt like we was hitting a brick wall sometimes. Felt like we wasn't accomplishing what we wanted to accomplish. Six years later, somebody comes up and says, man, she's a nice horse. And just immediately, every every hard time that's ever happened was was forgotten. And it was just nothing but joy. It was like validation. It made it all, made it all worthwhile. It made it good enough. I brought her home and turned her out and gave her some time off. Actually, I take that back. Real quick, I did not bring her home and turn her out. I brought her home, and I had some day work to go do and to jab at Cody and all of the flat hatters again. Um, went to day work with some buckaroo guys. They were trying to catch a yearling, and they couldn't get it caught, and so I dropped the hammer on Uno, and we ran up there and roped him right around his throat and deprived him of oxygen for a minute and he was captured while the buckaroos were still trying to coil up their 173 foot ropes hold on hold on hold on <laughs> this yearling that you said that you ran after and you caught yeah what what happened just previously to that because you told me this story so i already know the answer but i okay. would like everyone else to witness this right, you I were want, roping I, with what a 28 foot rope i want everybody to know this is the last time cody's ever going to be on the podcast <laughs> It is true. Like I say, we just got back from the big loop roping in West Virginia. I've been trying. Okay, I do admire the guys that can throw all the fancy loops. So because of Cody's peer pressure, I got a hold of John and Dalton Darnell at 310 Ranch Life, and I ordered me a 50-foot rope, and I'd been using it at the big loop roping, and I'd gotten used to being able to throw that hula hand or that backhand headshot from a long ways away and said yearling while we were day working was like 28 and a half feet away and I tried to hula hand him because I thought I had 50 foot of rope and I did not so that was why I rebuilt and ran to him and choked him well there's my point oh but once I got him caught I still had a 
hand free to Snapchat. So, because right. I and I didn't lose any skin off my fingers trying to dally. I don't lose skin off my fingers either because I know how to dally. Well, that's for people with broke horses. <laughs> so, I got a poem that I want to share with you guys today. It's called Uno and Jig, and it kind of ties in with this uh, talking about being able to take pride in in some of the horses that we've made, some of the the things we've done. Me and Cody talked about dogs for a minute. I am not a big dog guy. I understand their worth and value that a good dog is usually worth about three cowboys. Um, I just don't know that much about them. Haven't spent that much time with them other than than cur dogs and just catch dogs. Um, But we did get a border collie pup a couple years ago. And Cody and Tanya actually helped us a little bit with, with getting her started. Um, but even with my limited knowledge, just her instincts and the things that she could do and, and the fact that we were consistent and, and worked with her, um, she she actually made a, a pretty cool pup. So this is a poem. Uh, it's called Uno and Jig. Obviously, it's about Uno the horse and Jig the dog. And I'm going to share it with you all today. So this is Uno and Jig. I pinned a set of heifers with Uno and Jig today. It weren't much of a job, seemed less like work than play. I just sat up in the saddle with a leg on either side. They did the hard part. I just enjoyed the ride. As we ambled back to the pens to untack and get us a drink, Uno was plodding along. I had plenty of time to think about this little mare I was riding, how she's just now turned four, but knows a day's hard work. She's been there, sweaty and sore, about how she always keeps rope tight when I step down to the ground and how she's learned to handle her feet. She's sure starting to ride around. About how she looked when I met her. She was just four days old, still nursing the mare. Little, weak, and skinny. She wasn't the prettiest one there. But I liked her mama's evil eye and the slope to Uno's shoulder. I hoped she'd make a good one when she got a few years older. I'm the only one to throw my leg across that bay back of hers. That deep-hearted rib cage has never felt other spurs. So as I'm riding back to the pens, my thoughts continue to stir. I think about the mare I call Uno and the fact that I made her. Jig trots along beside us, black and white coat hanging wet, just a yearling border collie. She was meant to be my wife's pet. But her mama was a ranch dog and her daddy wanted the trials. She was meant to be a cow dog, following a horse those dusty miles. I tell her get wet and she jumps in the pond. I tell her down and she lays. I tell her walk up and she does. I tell her to stay and she stays. Now, I grew up on cur dogs and cows with torn, bleeding ears, but I'll admit it's sure something watching her fetch a set of steers. Our commands may not be normal. I don't savvy dog trainer lingo, but when I say get ahead, she's an arrow out of a bow. Moving slow and quiet or fast to turn a bunch quitter, she makes me awful glad my wife picked her from the litter. I had friends teach me a lot about this bag of border collie fur, but when we head home from work, I know I'm the one that made her. A good horse I broke and trained, and a dog that comes at my call. A few cows to ride through each morning. I'd say I've got it all. But Uno ain't the first colt I started. Jig ain't the first dog I had. I took some with a lot of potential and messed them up awful bad. But I learned from those mistakes. I'd say I'm a better hand now. When it comes to training critters, I somewhat kind of got a know-how. Now that ain't me just bragging. I thank the Lord for my gifts and for him standing by me when my life up and shifts. And I see what he's brought me through, times he's got me out of a bind. So when life these days is hairy, I try to keep it in mind. 
that I messed up a lot of good horses, and I ruined a few good pups. But after all life's downs, I have managed to find a few ups. So when I see a failure, like I've messed up and it shows, I remember that I made Uno, and I taught Jig what she knows. Thank you guys for tuning in. I, I hope that um, you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you'll tune back in next time for another poem. We may even get Cody back on here if he promises to be nice. But remember, I love you. Jesus loves you more. We'll be talking to you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Poetry in Motion, Cowboy Podcast. I apologize. It's been a while since we've had a podcast. We have been super, super busy. Uh, we've been trying to move from our house in Texas up to our new house in Missouri. And in the middle of all that, we had a top hand clinic in Beverly, West Virginia. And then been fortunate enough to have a bunch of day work lined up. So things have just been kind of hectic. Um, did run into some people in West Virginia who listened to the podcast. So that was super cool, really exciting. And um, what we were up there for, we did our top hand clinic um for two days and then the days following that we were part of or we got a chance to enter uh, a three-man big loop roping that Rodier the cross was hosting um jamie andrews big part of that deal um, it was a lot of fun didn't have maybe the success we wanted but got to have a lot of fun in that and that deal was a benefit for the um, potomac highland wounded warriors operation it's a super, super great group of men and women doing things for our veterans. Um, they're using hunting and the outdoors uh, to kind of connect with, with some of our vets that are in need. So that was a really neat deal. Got a chance to raise some money for them or be part of an event that was raising some money for them. Um, but we are glad to be back home. So today I've got a special guest, and I use the word special um somewhat lightly there but i do have a guest so today with me i've got cody dow cody is one of the co-founders of the top hand clinics and um, if you guys don't know what the top hand clinics are look that up on facebook and um, we're going to talk about it a little bit but y'all look it up um, check it out see what it's all about but so we've got cody with us today cody what's going on man thanks for having me um i appreciate the fact that i'm only partly special um and your your joke about only being semi-special um we know who's special here well i had like a whole list of people that i wanted to have on the clinic or on the podcast i'm glad uh, i made the top of it uh no they were all busy <laughs> all of them so i'm just glad you happened to be walking past perfect perfect but, so cody being part of the top hand clinic one of his big contributions to that is the stockmanship and, and cattle handling uh, part of that as much as I like to give him a hard time Cody has managed some ranches um, where are you where are you currently working at what are you doing now uh, Cody um, we are we are at Santa Fe Ranch um, Tanya my wife and I um, we've been there for the last seven years October here marked the uh, seven year mark of being at Santa Fe Ranch in Miller Missouri we take care of uh, about 700 mother cows, and then when we wean the calves, we background them for a, a period of time before we ship them on to the feedlot or, or wherever they go from there. So, yep, we're uh, we're managing Santa Fe Ranch at, at Miller, Missouri, and, and it's been a, a really good time. We, 
we have some really good owners that we've had a chance to be able to work with and uh they've been super super great to us and and really gracious they allow us the opportunity to be with top hand clinics along with managing the ranch and let us have a flexible schedule to uh to meet all of the needs that they have as well as being able to go and kind of venture into some of our own our own little ventures and and callings from god that they give us so it's it's a really rare opportunity that a person finds to be able to manage a ranch but also find the time and have the ability and flexibility to be able to do something like that so that's been that's been really awesome for us so we've just been busy this fall like Kai said we've traveled with all the clinics and we had a chance to go out to Colorado again in October for the his cavi benefit um, with our friends that run that being able to see see that for the first time since they've started running that um, El Guapo and and three man doctoring competition and and their benefit out there that was that was really awesome and then we followed it up with coming back to do our clinics and going to West Virginia and since we've been back we have had to go full tilt with the ranch kind of get caught up and and making feed to finish the end of the summer and the fall and then going right into weaning calves and now we get to uh start processing and and feeding calves and doctoring through the fall now sweet so we are only five minutes into the podcast so we are not going to get to the big debate yet we're not going to get to the argument that everybody's waiting for before we get to that we talked about the top hand clinics a lot we haven't really introduced it um a tremendous amount here on the podcast for those of you that i know in person have got the opportunity to be around um, you know what the top hand clinics are, but like I said, Cody and his wife Tanya, along with me and, and my wife Casey, we set this deal up and, and got it started in the fall of 2018. So I'm going to let Cody um, kind of give give his description, kind of tell you guys what the top hand clinics are. And if he misses anything, which I'm sure he will, I will come to the rescue and, and fill in the blanks. So Cody, what what is top hand clinics? In a nutshell, I would say that top. I don't hand think top hand clinics would fit in a nutshell. <laughs> I guess it's gonna have to be a huge. Do you realize how big the nut would have to be that it to fit a be, clinic inside it? It'd be like trying to castrate like yearlings or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Out, outside of a nutshell, yes. What is top hand clinics? Out, so outside of a nutshell, what I would call it, it is a cowboy ministry that we are able to teach various ranch skills to a group of people while also being able to minister to them through the example that we would set with how we handle our livestock and our horses and just being around people, but also we are able to minister minister to them through devotion time, just through being able to love on them and to care about them. Um, And to follow up kind of on the ranch skills, it would be anything from horsemanship that we kind of start out with at the beginning of the clinics, and we work through to rope handling, dallying drills, being able to rope the dummy and roping live cattle, um, and sorting, being able to to identify different aspects or or characteristics of a cow. which would relate into being able to identify sick cattle and and stuff like that. But it has anything to do with horsemanship all the way to roping so that we can present 
a realistic view of what cowboy skills would be from branding to doctoring to shipping calves to to any kind of skill such as that but we just use that as an avenue to love on people and share share the gospel of christ to them yeah and one of the cool things with the with the top hand clinics is that because we can be flexible a little bit in our curriculum and and what we're trying to cover we can work with any any experience group any any age group we've had um we've had older people come we've had teenagers and and kids come we've had people that were really really handy we've had people that had never picked up a rope before um, and we're able to kind of meet them uh, at their level and, and where they're at our our goal for the end of the weekend is not a set in stone we want everybody to be able to accomplish this task our goal is that everybody has improved and everybody's got stuff that they can take home and and work on so that they can continue to improve throughout the year while they while they're at home but one of the one of my favorite things about top hand clinics is we're not going to set anybody up to fail but we're going to set up everybody to get outside of their comfort zone like if you are already a really really good roper cody cody can throw a bunch of that big fancy buckaroo stuff and i guarantee you he can throw a loop that you cannot so even if you rope really good we're going to set you up to get outside your comfort zone and try something you haven't tried before. If you've never picked up a rope, it may be something very basic, but we're still going to try to stretch your comfort zone. And when we do that, we all end up failing. Like it, we're all going to, we're all going to throw loops at miss. We're all going to try something with our horse and it's not going to work out. And so then when we get the chance to come back together in, in our devotion time, and it seems like so much of the arrogance and the ego and the pride, um, is gone and and we can kind of connect as a group of people who have failed but are trying to do better because that ties perfectly straight in with our belief of the gospel um that we are all sinners saved by grace and and so we're all trying to do better we're all trying to become more christ-like but that's that's the top hand clinic um like i say check us out on facebook top hand clinics um get some more information there see a bunch of pictures of, of clinics that we've gotten to do but now we're going to get into the to the hot topic okay so one of our other friends was here today and he's he's really weird um he's from pennsylvania he moved to texas moved to utah now he's living in oklahoma and dating a girl from missouri so he's, he's having a huge identity crisis because when i first met johnny johnny was packing a 60 foot rope and I'm pretty sure he was riding his horse across the pasture with a tie-down on. Um, but now he's cut all his ropes in half, and now he wants to be a super puncher. So with Johnny being here today, him going through his identity crisis, it brought up the conversation once again between me and Cody, the same conversation we've had a million times. Cody carries a 60-footer. He dallies on a slick horn. I carry about 28 foot and keep a knot tied in the end of mine. So, Cody, I'm going to give you one chance right here for all of the world, anybody that hears this podcast, to try to convince me that dallying is better than tying on. You may go. All right, how long did you say that your rope was again? 28 foot. Try to throw it 29 Ride a faster horse. <laughs> Next point. <laughs> Even if your horse is fast, sometimes you need more than that. But, no. Um, honestly, like, 
I don't. It is a debate. We can go back and forth all day because we have counterpoints for each point that we do make. But like in the end, we may do things differently, but the goal is always to accomplish the same task. Um, and like it may look different, but as long as our focus is on the same thing, that kind of aligns with our uh, with our belief in God and and kind of our faith and stuff as well. Is like we can always kind of, we have a set of core values that are kind of in that circle and it centers around our, our, uh, salvation. But in the end, like, as long as it points towards God, then it makes sense. And kind of, that's the same thing with Kai and I, and like my thought process behind my style of how, how I train a horse, how I ride a horse, how I rope cattle and all that is based upon the strengths that I have personally and the skills that I have. Like, I prefer to have a longer rope where I can run some rope and and I have the opportunity to have a little bit more failure with running some rope and having a little bit more time for different things. My horses, some people would call them slow, and some of them are very slow, but a lot of times they have to be very calculated in the way that they move and the way that they act in order for us to accomplish our job. But like I said, in the end, like a person can go back and forth and, and, and over and over and over again. But, but like, I admire guys that can tie on and can, can show that skill extremely well. Um, and then I also cringe at the guys that choose to have that style, but are not very good at it. And I think it goes that that's kind of the same thing for Kai. Like, I think that he admires somebody that can use a long rope and throw fancy shots and, and can utilize that that style, but he also cringes when they don't do a good job. <laughs> okay, so this is no fun because Cody's being on his best behavior. All right, before we pushed record on the podcast, Cody was explaining to me all the reasons he thought I wasn't a man for tying on. Okay, but now that we have listeners, he's trying to be really trying to be really nice. But he does bring up a good point, and this is something that we cover. Um, we're going to go back to talk about the top hand clinics just a little bit. Something that we cover at our clinics. We both have a goal of low-stress stock handling, if, if that's the way that you want to call it. And, and guys tying on uh, get a bad reputation um, because all you really see is, is somebody run to a big old yearling across a wheat pasture and yank him over backwards on his head. And I'm not saying that I haven't ever done that, but it's not necessary. Even tied on, you can... You can run 2-1, get him roped clean, and then handle your horse and and ease into some things. Um, And and you can still handle stock good. Me and Cody have roped together a bunch with me tied on and him dallying and never really run into any problems. The only time we really run into a problem is when I'm tied on because whatever I'm riding ain't broke enough to ride one-handed. So I just got to rope something and throw my slack to him and go back to riding my colt two-handed and then Cody's not paying attention, and I rim-fire him, and we both manage to get bucked off at the same time. But even that, that's not really a bad deal because that, that gives you good stories to tell, and that's really what being a cowboy is, is all about. Um, so another thing, since Cody wasn't willing to get heated and, and debated about dialing versus tying on, what about this one? I know that you, or not you so much, but Tanya, Raises some good dogs, um, Australian Shepherds, gets them really broke, gets a good handle on them, and likes to use them. 
Why do you guys have those dogs instead of some curs? Well, I, honestly, I think Johnny brought up a good point about it today, and he asked what style we used and whether it was a bay dog, like what you're saying, a, a cur or a catahoula or black, like the blackmouth curs, versus a command-style dog. And, uh, and that's just it. That kind of sums it up right there. That gives you my answer is we use a... I have a, a border collie. I've had some border collies um, that I, I typically use for my work. And then Tanya raises Australian Shepherds, and we've gone into kind of the trial and, uh, and like, command-style Australian Shepherds that will work a lot like a border collie. And it's just for that reason. It's for the command um, style of them where where we don't just go. And, and I, I even admire kind of the Bay and dogs with the black mouth curs and and stuff like that but i think as a human being just by default um we kind of run into the run into the issue where we want to be control freaks and that that uh that gives us the ability with having those command style dogs in a border collie and an australian shepherd is that we can control their moves um obviously once they're trained when they're young there's not a lot of control on it. It's kind of like riding a young horse. It's a lot of our own manipulation of the movements of that dog in order to train them to eventually I can stand in one spot or I can ride my horse to one spot and then manipulate based upon the commands of that dog where I want them to go and how to how to maneuver those cattle and they work real quiet. Um, probably one of my pet peeves is a dog that barks a lot, which I, I say that with owning the Australian Shepherds because the Australian Shepherds will bark some. But those those bay dogs that are just nonstop, kind of like a coonhound, um, not that not that I don't see their usefulness, but they get on my nerves with the amount, the amount that they bark at times. So that's that's really the thought process behind why we like the dogs that we do. Um, and there there's a, a time and a place for the others, but we've we've been able to find and meet most of our needs where we're at with the style of dogs that we have, being Australian shepherds and and border collies do you do you think before facebook and youtube and all this stuff like is is it less cultural or less geographical than it used to be like in the old days if you grew up in the great basin that's the only style of horsemanship you're going to see that's the only style of roping you're going to see if you grew up in west texas that's all you're going to see do you think that some of that's gone away now that like a bona fide super puncher that's never had anything but cur dogs and short ropes can get on YouTube and learn how to throw a Del Viento and he goes and buys a 60 foot rope. Like, do you think that's changed with the internet and everything? Um, I do like, yes and no, because there's always been cowboys that have traveled from South Texas up, up the, the cattle trails and gotten into the Northern country or, or out West farther where their style could have morphed and changed a little bit. But it's definitely much more common. Like you saw, you and I, we went to West Virginia, um, and it was to a big loop roping. So, like, I don't know exactly how West Virginians in the 1800s would have cowboyed, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it would have been with one of Ray Hunt's kind of prototypical wade tree saddles and a 60-foot rope. I think that that for sure the the age of technology has kind of opened – the door for people to morph and change into different styles because it's just like even 
in the in the geographical country that we're at here in Missouri, we're in the center of the United States, and we kind of hit all the different worlds. There's lots of guys that tie on, and like you you tie on, um, and you ride a, a big swelled saddle with a little bitty horn, and 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 do that. But then there's also guys that ride a wade tree, like the and then there's like myself. I'm kind of a conundrum. I feel like at times, like I have that style of roping and that style of kind of trying to train a horse, and and I. I'll put them into a snaffle bit and then into maybe a a, a hackamore and, and ride them that way a little bit. But then there's also times where I throw them back into a shanked, uh, like, lifesaver type bit or or a, a uh, like, a, a Tom Balding correction bit or something like that. So it all, like, it just kind of morphs and it's not ever super traditional, but it's also not the other way at times too. And, like, right now I'm not wide, I'm not riding a wade tree saddle. I, like, I have a a little Will James style swelled saddle, but it's got a big horn on it so that I can still dally. So I definitely think that the age of technology has enlightened or not necessarily enlightened, but probably broadened the ability for somebody to go from one style to the next. But I also think that a lot of that kind of has to do with the draw of that person and just how they can relate. It's just like you and I, we talk a lot about training dogs and training horses and, and, even interacting with people like meeting meeting those different horses and dogs and people where they're at everybody's going to have a different way of thinking about the same thing like you and I might want to come up with the number 12 but I'll add six plus six and you might add 12 plus, or eight plus four so like even in that I got that wrong so it's different but like you know what I mean it yep. it's just one of those deals where I think the like to answer your question and go back. I'm chasing rabbit trails now, but to answer your question, I definitely think the age of technology has been able to broaden the knowledge that different people have of different stuff. But I think it also hinders it at the same time because they can get a perception of it based upon watching two YouTube videos and then still not know everything that there is yeah. about it that's another subject we can go into that we've talked about is like the more you think that you know the more you realize you don't have a clue about yeah yeah just just because you can quote dale brisby doesn't mean you're ready to go hire on for any day work but we definitely are in it so we are in southwest missouri like pretty much as center of the u.s as as you can get and um there's a there's a lot of cattle around here like agriculture is a is a big deal there's a lot of cattle a lot of farming um but it is a blending pot just because because we are in the middle and like cody said you got guys dallying on slick horns got guys tying on get a ton of guys um dallying on rubber and um, just because they grew up team roping their whole life and it's easy to get frustrated in some of those instances because talking about dallying versus tying on we can also get into the the conversation of, of how we brand calves so we're getting ready to brand some calves here in a couple weeks and um you got some brandings that you're going to heal and drag calves and have guys flanking you got some where you're going to heal and drag them use nord forks some where you're going to head and heal everything um i hear people talk about um calf tables but anytime i hear that i turn and go the other way i've never seen one of those mythical creatures in real life um but it's easy to get frustrated when you show up somewhere and say you you think the best way to do it is is healing and dragging calves and you show up somewhere and they say they're going to head and heal everything but I, I i consider it a blessing really to live here where we do where it is such a, a melting pot like 
I would not say Southwest Missouri has a distinct cultural cowboy style of, of its own. Um, but it works out great for me because like, I grew up with, with kind of the team roper mentality. My, my grandpa team roped. Like, that was what we did. We used short ropes. We dallied on, on rubber. I was lucky enough to get to be around some guys that were super handy tying on, and I got to liking that. But now I've been around uh, Cody and, and some of these guys who use the long ropes. And, and so I, I feel like all around I'm a, I'm a better cowboy. I'm a better horseman. I'm a better cattleman just for being around so many different types. I, I feel like if I'd have been just crammed into a box where this is the only way it can be done, that I, I wouldn't have reached my potential. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You kind of agree with that? Uh, absolutely. And that's, like I said, like I admire somebody that can tie on and you've managed to trick me into doing it like <laughs> twice. Um, and they went super successful. And I don't know that's that, be, that is because like, I'm great at that. It's, it's just because, because it was my horse, my rope, my horn knot. Like it was just set up for success. <laughs> that is very true. That is like, it helps to be in that kind of situation, but it also helps to see guys that are super good at it and like they have an understanding for how it works and then like that's where you find like that debate guys want to draw a hard line and and like there are times in our life where we need to draw hard lines but like on a deal like that I think the more that you can learn and the more that you can see then the better off that you'll be in the end because yeah if you were painted kind of into a corner and only did the one style and only learn from the one set of guys and and this and that you may master that but there are going to be holes in your in your program um and like it'd be the same concept with a horse or a dog like um i asked a guy early on whenever i was kind of learning about training some horses and and just starting some colts and kind of getting into this lifestyle i was like so like after watching rfd tv a few times and i was like there's chris cox and there's all these different guys that have these horse training shows like which one do you follow and the guy told me the best advice that i ever had and he goes well i really just watch all of them and then i pick and kind of choose what parts of it and i know i I try to have an understanding of all that they're doing and i may not master all of it but at least i can kind of take and pick little bits of each different guy in order to create my own program because it also broadens the tools in my tool bag so that I don't fall short on a certain horse that I'm trying to train because I can pick from this guy and then I can pick from this guy and then I can pick from this guy in order to try to meet all of those needs. Um, the cool thing about it, to, to kind of take it a different direction for you, though, is like in our Christian walk, we have a whole tool bag with the Bible and 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 at the lead of it is God and like we don't have to choose and pick and and try to pick from this guy's tool bag and that guy's tool bag because as long as we'll follow that script and we'll try to go from that perspective and and following and trying to walk with God, like he has the answer for us in that. So rather than trying to make a melting pot of stuff, we have one true, one true God to be able to follow. So that it, I may have confused you with that kind of description, but that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the view that I have on it. Yeah. For sure, no, I I completely agree on that. It is like when you boil it all down, our our life. Honestly, we want to try to make it hard and we want to try to make it complicated. It's it's so simple. Like, love Jesus and don't do drugs. 
Like that's <laughs> that's all there is to it, folks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Really. Life gets really hard when you make poor decisions. Like life's hard already. So when when you make bad decisions, it just makes it tougher. Yeah. And if you're gonna be dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah. And I'm not very tough. So Cody brings up a good point there that he's not tough. Um, that's why he doesn't tie on. But no, he he brings up another good point about taking different things from other people. The the quickest way to stop growing, the quickest way to stop improving is to think that you know it all. And Cody mentioned this a little bit earlier too, but one thing we say a lot, especially about our horsemanship, is that for every one thing you learn, it seems like you, you realize then that there's three things you don't know. Like you have to learn a certain amount to realize how much you don't know. But there's this kind of fine line or, or balancing act or whatever of all all of your pride and ego and everything has to go out the window. You've got to be willing to listen to other people and learn from other people if you want to continue to grow and continue to improve yourself. But also, there's, okay, so there's two different ways really to look at pride. There's there's a, a sinful kind of pride where it's all about me and, and everything like that. But the Bible also says that a worker's worthy of his wages. Like, we're supposed to work as if we're working for God and not for man. So I, I know the word pride gets a negative connotation and, and people talk bad about it. But um, if you want to say we're supposed to take pride in our work or if you want to say we're supposed to take joy in our work or however you want to look at it, um, I'm just going to use pride because that's the, the simplest term. And I'm not talking about like a bragging, arrogant, I'm better than you pride. But when when I've put time into a horse, when I've rode a horse, I want to do it in a way where I can take pride in the finished product. Like when I start a colt, I don't want to in 30 days or a year or five years or however long look back and say, man, I wasted five years on this hunk of junk. I want every day to work with a certain attitude, intensity, however you want to look at it, of I'm going to turn out a really good finished product. And me and Cody, I would say, like, obviously we rope a little bit different. We do things a little bit different. Even our horsemanship um, is is a little bit different. The way that we accomplish some things is a little bit different. But um, Cody's got a gray mare or grueler. What it, you guys just have to see her. She's funky colored. Um, she's she's morphing. She she's changing every day. She's probably gonna be black. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what color she is, but either way, that he's been working on for a long time, and uh, her her name is Noodles. So I'm gonna let Cody tell you a little bit about Noodles and some of her uh, backstory. Yeah, like like Kai said, um, she was she started Grula. We got her as a oh, three or four month old filly that we traded um, a puppy we bred for actually. Um, and like I, I liked her. Cause Why would she, you breed a puppy? Like I would definitely <laughs> wait till they got of age. Yeah, yeah. You make a good point. <laughs> uh, it's an irrelevant point, but it's a good one, I guess. But no, we uh, we actually traded two puppies that Tanya had out of a female that was of age to breed. Oh, and uh, okay. Well, that's we just had to make sure they're like I don't want yeah. anybody listening to this. Too. Yeah, yeah. You live in a big glass house to be throwing lots of stones here. Hey, I like living in a glass house because I can see my reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, we got this filly. She was three or four months old. 
Um, kind of ugly and pot gutted, but she had really good papers, which is always the uh, the worst plan for trying to buy any any kind of equine. Um, yes, is to to look at just their papers and and think that an ugly, ill mannered, poor confirmation type of horse is is a good buy just because their papers are good. Preach. But but I did it anyways, and uh, turns out like my gamble worked out because she's still sort of ugly she's got a big head but she's grown into it a little bit and uh she's kind of tall and lanky and uh, almost built like kai's thoroughbred where her legs come out of the same hole in her chest hey man be nice to you know. <laughs> uh, but she she's she started out like she's always been super 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 gentle um and i think i've tried to sell her about a half a dozen times in her life just because even though she was gentle she was colored good she was papered good. She'd find little, like, I would find flaws with her and find faults where it made me almost, not necessarily resent her, but it would make me not super motivated about her. But the cool thing is, is we just kind of kept on going with her and kept on going, and she's four now, um, and she got to go through this whole last year as a four-year-old in our clinic season. Um, in the spring, we went to, went to, uh, Dawn and Debbie Horns. We went to Kentucky. Um, I took her to Detroit, Texas, and we branded a bunch of calves there. I branded a bunch at Santa Fe on her in the spring, and then um, I don't know if I branded on her much last last winter, but I did in the spring for sure. And then went through the summer working on her here just at the ranch, riding through cattle and doing stuff. And then this fall, she's made the big fall run with us too. Um, hauled her to Colorado for vacation that we took in the summer and then went to West Virginia, we have uh, did a clinic here at Carthage at Risen Ranch. Um, and kind of the cool thing is, is the this last kind of in the spring and then the summer and, and now for sure this fall, it's like uh, the, the blessing of our perseverance and our hard work and the frustration that we put in is kind of coming to fruition because she's for sure not a finished horse by any means. She's still super green. But we're being able to see some of the fruit of that labor because she's she's still super gentle. Like, she's never been a bronc, but she was super bad about being, like, she was like riding a stick horse. She was stiff-necked and hard-mouthed. She would run off, and she never did get motivated enough to run super fast, but she would just run off and uncontrolled. So as long as you could ride as fast as she could run, you could stay with her. Um, but it just made a lot of frustrating points, and, like, we've weaned these calves this fall and I didn't even actually ride her this fall. My wife, Tanya got to ride her and got to sort on her and we've roped and doctored a bunch of stuff and like things are clicking and coming into coming kind of the, the cream is rising to the top now and she's for sure not finished, but it's, it's super rewarding to see the fruit of that labor that you put in and like for so long been beating our head against the wall with her. And now it's like, oh, now it makes sense. I'm glad I didn't sell her six months ago. I'm glad I didn't sell her a year ago. I'm glad I didn't just get rid of her and send her off through the sale barn or something just because there were points that I was super frustrated. Yeah, and that's – so when when was the – I know it was in the spring. Do you remember when the clinic at Detroit was? I think it was in April. So in April then we were in Detroit, Texas um, at the Atkins Ranch uh, – Gavin Rogers was taking care of their cow herd then. He got us set up uh, to have a, a clinic down there, and noodles was not super great. Like, 
I don't think I don't think you're mad at me for saying. No, that. I think she almost wrecked a kid. Yeah, we did. We did almost almost wreck a kid. But so from then, so from April until here, a couple weeks, a month ago, mm-hmm. when we went to West Virginia, but like huge, huge change. Like when we were at West Virginia, there were a ton of people there. There were a lot of really good horses. There were a lot of older horses. And there were some finished bridle horses there, like pretty legit finished bridle horses. And to me, as as far as being broke, as being quiet, being able to do a job on her, um, I mean, she was she was as good as as any of them there. Um, so, just the like you said, the the persistence, dedication, mm-hmm. perseverance, whatever you want to call it. She's at a point now where, when somebody says, "Hey, what's that horse? I really like her." You can say, man, we've had this filly since she was three or four months old. Yeah. Like, me and Tanya have done all the work on her. Like, this is our project. This is our baby. Yeah. And that's that's super cool. That's a that's a good feeling for for. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like entrepreneurs, big business people, once they've built up a business, I'm sure they feel somewhat the same way. But to do it with a living, breathing creature, yes. is is even cooler. Yeah, absolutely. And like. It's kind of, I listening to another podcast, I, I listen to Cow Horse Full Contact quite a bit just because I spend quite a bit of time either in the truck driving or, or in a tractor brush hogging or making hay through the summer and stuff. That doesn't sound super um, cowboy. No, it, it's not. Um, but cattle do have to feed or have to have feed, so you got to make it. And yeah, but I don't feed, fence, farm, or fix things. <laughs> you don't do a lot of things, but we won't go there. Um but anyways, with listening to those podcasts, there was one that kind of stuck out in my mind, and it was when Chris Dawson was talking about um, when he worked it for Carol Rose, um, and he goes, he he was just, I don't know who he was having the conversation with, but I know that Carol Rose was in it, um, and somehow or another, the, the subject of Brandon, those colts that were out of that breeding program came up, yeah. um, and he said her response to him was, well, honey, if you breed one, or if you brand one of them, you got to brand all of them. And with that, she was implying that she didn't want her name to go with every single colt that she was producing because she might not have been proud of them. Um, and with you and you and I here and kind of in the conversation that we're in, we're, we're kind of the exact opposite of that thought process because I know you brand your broodmares and you yeah. brand your colts. Um, we're registering a brand right now and we'll, we're going to, we've been able to, to have some colts and like this, this, noodles mare that we've raised we've got another one the exact same age that we're super proud of as well she just didn't get to go and make the clinic circle with us because she was with a friend out in wyoming all summer um but she'll for sure be on the clinic circle this next year but like for those fillies that we have raised and seen whether it be from birth or from the age of two or three months old until now where they're four and five like these are horses that we want to brand because we're like you said, not to use pride in in an arrogant or boastful way, but like we're extremely proud of the hard work that we yeah. put into them. We're extremely proud of the broodmares. We we brand our cattle because we want people to know where they came from down the road, because we're pleased with the fruit that we produced. And it's it's kind of that same pro- process there with our with those mares and those colts and and the work that we put in with riding those horses and. Like you said, it can go one way or it can go another with being a sinful boast or it can just be like work like you're working for the Lord 
and there's a joy in that because you get to see the good fruit yeah. of the labor that you put in. For sure. Um, and it, it goes just right along with our lives. Like, are you living each day like you're, like you're working for the Lord and you're proud of the fruit that you're producing? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, I, I agree completely. That's, that was actually part of, of the sermon this morning. So we go to church here at Risen Ranch Cowboy Church in Carthage, Missouri. If you're looking for a church home, come join us. But our pastor, Steve Stafford, he actually talked about that um, some this morning. That like I'm not going to boast about anything that I've done, but I'll boast about what God's done in me. And, and our horses is, is kind of the same way. Like if you if you look at raining, you look at cutting, you look at any of these these disciplines, these events that we've created. It all started with cowboys way back when that weren't even saying so much look at me they were saying look at what my horse can do like mm-hmm. like i've got a horse that can stop better than your horse i've got a horse that can turn a cow that your horse can't and and i'm like we've got kind of a similar deal like you've got noodles we've got uno and i think every podcast we've done so far the poem has probably been about uno she's been a big part of our lives we got her when she was four days old she's still on her mama she's six now and she's not she's not a world beater like Cody said. Her front legs come out of the same hole. Her head's the biggest part on her. She can't hardly pull her own shadow through the mud. But man, she can run to a cow. She's gentle. Uh, my six year old daughter can run barrels on her. Anybody can just get on her and and go. Um, I got to show her in the in the one man competition at West Virginia the other day and got along good there. Like she's just she's super cool. And and we had a guy that I had never met. Like I say, we're, we were still living in Texas then. So we're from Texas and, and, uh, we're in West Virginia of all places. I don't even know who this guy was, older gentleman come up and, and, uh, my daughter was riding Uno around and he says, that's your horse. And I said, yes, sir. He said, man, I've been watching her and she is really nice. And six, six years worth of work, like six years of being frustrated with that mare because we were working through things and, Felt like we was hitting a brick wall sometimes. Felt like we wasn't accomplishing what we wanted to accomplish. Six years later, somebody comes up and says, man, she's a nice horse. And just immediately, every every hard time that's ever happened was was forgotten. And it was just nothing but joy. It was like validation. It made it all, made it all worthwhile. It made it good enough. I brought her home and turned her out and gave her some time off. Actually, I take it back. Real quick, I did not bring her home and turn her out. I brought her home, and I had some day work to go do and to jab at Cody and all of the flat hatters again. Um, went to day work with some buckaroo guys. They were trying to catch a yearling, and they couldn't get it caught, and so I dropped the hammer on Uno, and we ran up there and roped him right around his throat and deprived him of oxygen for a minute. And he was captured while the buckaroos were still trying to coil up their 173-foot ropes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this yearling that you said that you ran after and you caught, yeah. what what happened just previously to that? Because you told me this story, so I already know the answer, but I okay. would like everyone else to witness this. Right, you I were want, roping I, with what, a 28-foot rope? I want everybody to know this is the last time Cody's ever going to be on the podcast. <laughs> it is true. Like I say, we just got back from the big loop roping in West Virginia, I've been trying, okay, I do admire the guys that can throw all the fancy loops. So, because of Cody's peer pressure, 
I got a hold of John and Dalton Darnell at 310 Ranch Life, and I ordered me a 50-foot rope, and I'd been using it at the Big Loop Roping, and I'd gotten used to being able to throw that hula hand or that backhand headshot from a long ways away, and said yearling, while we were day working, was like 28 and a half feet away, and I tried to hula hand him because I thought I had 50 foot of rope, and I did not, so that was why I rebuilt and ran to him and choked him. Well, there's my point. Oh, but once I got him caught, I still had a hand free to Snapchat, so, cause I, and I didn't lose any skin off my fingers trying to dally. I don't lose skin off my fingers either because I know how to dally. Well, that's for people with broke horses. <laughs> so, I got a poem that I want to share with you guys today. It's called Uno and Jig, and it kind of ties in with this uh, talking about being able to take pride in, in some of the horses that we've made, some of the, the things we've done. Me and Cody talked about dogs for a minute. I am not a big dog guy i understand their worth and value that a good dog is usually worth about three cowboys and i just don't know that much about them haven't spent that much time with them other than than cur dogs and just catch dogs um but we did get a border collie pup a couple years ago and cody and tanya actually helped us a little bit with with getting her started um but even with my limited knowledge just her instincts and the things that she could do and and the fact that we were consistent and, and worked with her, um, she she actually made a, a pretty cool pup. So this is a poem. Uh, it's called Uno and Jig. Obviously, it's about Uno the horse and Jig the dog. And I'm going to share it with you all today. So this is Uno and Jig. I pinned a set of heifers with Uno and Jig today. It weren't much of a job. Seemed less like work than play. I just sat up in the saddle with a leg on either side. They did the hard part. I just enjoyed the ride. As we ambled back to the pens to untack and get us a drink, Uno was plodding along and I had plenty of time to think about this little mare I was riding, how she's just now turned four, but knows a day's hard work. She's been there, sweaty and sore, about how she always keeps rope tight when I step down to the ground, and how she's learned to handle her feet. She's sure starting to ride around. About how she looked when I met her. She was just four days old, still nursing the mare, little, weak, and skinny, she wasn't the prettiest one there. But I liked her mama's evil eye and the slope to Uno's shoulder. I hoped she'd make a good one when she got a few years older. I'm the only one to throw my leg across that bay back of hers. That deep-hearted rib cage has never felt to other spurs. So as I'm riding back to the pins, my thoughts continue to stir. I think about the mare I call Uno and the fact that I made her. Jig trots along beside us, black and white coat hanging wet. Just a yearling border collie. She was meant to be my wife's pet. But her mama was a ranch dog and her daddy wanted the trials. She was meant to be a cow dog, following a horse those dusty miles. I tell her get wet and she jumps in the pond. I tell her down and she lays. I tell her walk up and she does. I tell her to stay and she stays. Now I grew up on cur dogs and cows with torn bleeding ears. But I'll admit it's sure something watching her fetch a set of steers. Our commands may not be normal, I don't savvy dog trainer lingo, but when I say get ahead, she's an arrow out of a bow. Moving slow and quiet, or fast to turn a bunch quitter, she makes me awful glad my wife picked her from the litter. I had friends teach me a lot about this bag of border collie fur, but when we head home from work, I know I'm the one that made her. A good horse I broke and trained, 
and a dog that comes at my call. A few cows to ride through each morning. I'd say I've got it all. But Uno ain't the first colt I started. Jig ain't the first dog I had. I took some with a lot of potential and messed them up awful bad. But I learned from those mistakes. I'd say I'm a better hand now. When it comes to training critters, I somewhat kind of got a know-how. Now that ain't me just bragging. I thank the Lord for my gifts and for him standing by me when my life up and shifts. And I see what he's brought me through. Times he's got me out of a bind. So when life these days is hairy, I try to keep it in mind that I messed up a lot of good horses and I ruined a few good pups. But after all life's downs, I have managed to find a few ups. So when I see a failure, like I've messed up and it shows, I remember that I made Uno and I taught Jig what she knows. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope that um, you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you'll tune back in next time for another poem. We may even get Cody back on here if he promises to be nice. But remember, I love you. Jesus loves you more. We'll be talking to you.